covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. I'll have you for the next uh, hour or so as we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball. As a great start to the season for the crew, they begin 3-0 with a three-game series sweep in San Diego. Just so you kind of know where we're coming from as we go through the course of the podcast, we are recording this on Sunday evening, the night of April 1st, Easter Sunday. A very happy Easter to uh, you and your family and friends and everybody. Uh, Very odd to have a Sunday off after the Major League season gets started, but uh, that's the case this year for the Brewers, and they will have their home opener coming up on Monday afternoon. So essentially, this is the home opening edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We do have a fair amount to get to here uh, over the course of the program today. First and foremost, if you uh, do ever want to get get in contact with me for any reason, you can do so on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T. P-A-U-L-E-Y on air is the Twitter handle. Would love for you to follow me on Twitter, but even if you don't follow me, you can uh, tweet at me, and I think I'm pretty good at generally getting back to uh, folks. Also, if you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast, you can always leave a review, which would be very helpful for us. You can uh, just the review, the ranking, whatever it does, just do that one time. It uh, takes a couple minutes and it helps more and more folks be able to uh, find the podcast. And thanks to all the new people who are listening. Last week's podcast uh, actually is the most listened to podcast that we have done since uh, getting this thing started, which is uh, pretty cool to see the numbers go up. So hopefully we continue to uh, do that and uh, feel free to tell other people about as well. We hope that as many people as possible can hear the podcast. Brad Ford's going to be my guest on the program this week, both as my featured guest during the social media conversation. Also, we'll uh, have him stick around as we bring back the Down on the Farm segment now that the uh, minor league season is just about set to get underway. So he's going to join us coming up for a couple segments here in just a little bit. What can you say about this start to the season for the Brewers? It's been just flat out fun. And they've won three games. They've won three games in three very different types of ways. And the two guys that you went out and acquired during the course of the offseason have been nothing short of spectacular. Through the first three games, Lorenzo Cain is 8 of 14 for a 571 average. He's scored three runs. He's driven in three runs. He also has uh, three stolen bases. He's slugging 786. He has an OPS at 1.386. I mean, just great numbers. Christian Yelich had a 5-for-5 five five game in Saturday's contest against the San Diego Padres, bumping his average up to 500. He's 7-of-14. He has driven in three. He has scored four. And right now, that middle of the order, along with those guys, and also Travis Shaw, Ryan Braun, Domingo Santana, that looks as formidable as just about any middle of the order in baseball at the moment. And it's just three games. It's a small sample size. We're going to use that term a lot during the course of this podcast. And you got to get a couple weeks into the season generally before true things really start to, to come forward where you can you know make these wide-ranging kind of statements about a club. But so far, so good. And that uh, the decision to bring both those guys in by David Stearns 
through three of 162 games, but through three games, looks to absolutely be uh, just a fantastic decision that has made this lineup and the ability to score runs just, it's a very dynamic lineup right now. And a lot of the other guys haven't quite gotten going yet. And if, if they can get back to what you're used to seeing them being able to do, who knows what's going to happen. But what a fun first three games of the year. And now it gets a lot tougher. We're going to know when we're doing this podcast coming up next Sunday, we're going to know a little bit more about this team because they're going to be coming off seven straight days of games against the other two teams in the National League Central that are considered you know, the best teams in, in the division. I think most people say the Cubs are the number one team. Some people think the Cardinals are number two. Some people think the Brewers are number two. Quite honestly, I would take the Brewers. I think the Brewers are a better ball club than St. Louis at this point in time. But either way, neither the Cubs or the Cardinals, I think, can be compared to the San Diego Padres. It's going to be a definite increase in competition throughout the course of the week. So we'll see what things look like coming up a week from today. All right, here's what we've got coming up on the program today. Again, Brad Ford's going to join us in our social media conversation. Also, we'll go down on the farm with him. And uh, But before we get to that, let's get to this week's Headlines of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's headlines of the week. The team starts out the season 3-0, and and very three, I, I always say good teams. It doesn't matter if it's baseball or if it's any other sport. Good teams are able to win games in different kinds of ways. You know, there's teams out there that, and at some point, you know, the Brewers have kind of been this team in the past where there was only, they had to play by a certain blueprint and the game had to play out that way for them to be able to win. Well, game number one, pitching duel. Brewers led one nothing for most of it. They give up the lead in the ninth inning, and then they push across a run in the 12th. Second game, they're down, and they put up a five spot in the ninth inning thanks to Ryan Braun hitting a three-run home run and also Ryan Braun driving in five of the runs that the uh, that the Brewers scored that day. And then finally, the third game of the series was kind of a, I don't want to use the word runaway because it was close for a while, but it was a game that they, they secured and it was a multiple run win. So three different ways of going about playing a game and three different wins, and that's a good thing to see from this club. Uh, the G-Man Choice situation, and we'll talk about this a bit with Brad Ford in our next segment, uh, interesting situation. They signed G-Man Choi in the offseason. You really thought he was just going to be organizational depth, that he was earmarked to AAA Colorado Springs. He then goes through the spring where he hits better than 400 in the Cactus League. He makes the opening day roster, but then they signed Dan Jennings. They needed another spot uh, in the bullpen. They end up sending G-Man Choi down, but this is after in the first game of the season. He hits a double in the 12th inning and ends up scoring the game-winning run. The whole first base situation right now where the Brewers have Ryan Braun, Eric Thames, Jesus Aguilar, and then G-Man Choi, all major league caliber players who are all going to play a lot of first base. We're still figuring how much first base Ryan Braun's going to play, but uh, that is... Uh, it's a good situation for the Brewers to be in because they've got so much depth, but it's a tough situation for some of those individuals. If you're Eric Thames, your playing time is down. If you're Jesus Aguilar, you don't know if you're on this team in a week. Uh, and if you're G-Man Joy, you're sitting in AAA. 
Speaking of Ryan Braun, he plays at uh, first base each of the first two games, handled everything that came his way fine over at first, obviously had the big home run in the second game of the series. So, so far, so good in terms of Ryan Braun playing over at first base. Those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile as we do continue on. It is the first edition of the program since the Brewers start the regular season. We record this on Sunday night, so again, a happy Easter to everybody. And uh, as we sit right now, the Brewers are a 3-0 team. We're very happy to welcome uh, on to the program. You can uh, read him over at Brew Crew Ball. His name is Brad Ford. You can follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Brad, it's always good to talk to you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Matt. How about yourself? I'm doing well, and this has obviously been an exciting start for this Brewers season, and you do have to look and see that they were playing the San Diego Padres, and the Padres are certainly not very good, but through three games, Lorenzo Cain, 571 average, 8 of 14. He's got three RBIs. He's already got 11 total bases. You have Christian Yelich coming off a 5-for-5 game. He's 7 of 14 to get the season started. Uh, Travis Shaw has driven in uh, a good number. I mean, just up and down. Ryan Braun had the uh, the game-winning home run, and he had the five RBI game there in game number two against the San Diego. Uh, it's safe to say this season really couldn't have started off much better than it has. No, it's been fantastic uh, in terms of viewership too. Just uh, what we've already experienced from late-inning wins to ninth-inning comebacks to just utter offensive dominance. I mean, it's been a really fun season to enjoy, um, especially to immediately get returned from the two huge offseason acquisitions. They're your current leaders in getting on base. Uh, Yelich, uh, it's nice to see he got that first extra base hit out of the way yesterday. Or, yeah, yesterday. Um, and they're, they've been on base more than half the time, giving your run producers in Braun, Shaw, Santana, uh, some great opportunities to actually produce some runs. Uh, and we saw what magic that can do yesterday with actually Thames leading off instead of Kane and Kane batting third. So that was a really fun game, an interesting lineup to see. And, uh, you know, through three games, we've seen some really good stuff so far. I like the Eric Thames leading off thing because I know everybody always looks at him as a home run hitter, but he is uh, so much of his game is quite honestly inconsistent, whether it's the home runs, whether it's just getting uh, getting hits. The one part of his game that absolutely 100% across the board is consistent is his ability to get on base somehow, some way. And we saw the two walks in that one start in the three-game series, uh, the third game of the three-game series against the Padres. So I like Thames in the leadoff spot. I think it, from a consistency standpoint, I think it makes sense. Do you agree or disagree with that general idea? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I've never minded it. I really liked it last year when they were struggling to get your prototypical leadoff hitters to actually be able to get on base. So, you, like you said, the one guy that you have who always gets on base, who you know was getting on base at a 360 rate last year, you just throw at the top of the lineup and say, go find that way to get on base. So I really like it. Um, it's an interesting way to start off the lineup, too, and really makes the pitcher work from the get-go because you can't make a mistake to Thames and only 
see a the single. You really have to come out with your best stuff and make sure he doesn't punish you for making a mistake. So in that terms, too, it's really making the pitcher approach the game in a different way than you normally see that. And I just like when the Brewers take these opportunities to change the conventional thinking on how things should be done. And Thames is definitely far off from that conventional thinking, but he works. I mean, he gets on base. He's quick enough to score runs. He stole a base yesterday. Um, So that's always fun to see 250 pounds of muscle chugging around, getting to another base. Um, So I definitely have no problems with it. And like you said, like I trust him to swing at good pitches um, there's a swing at the right pitches. Yes, he's going to strike out a bit too, uh, but he definitely gives you a good opportunity for someone to get on base and someone to do some damage at the top of the lineup. When people moan and complain to me about a, you know, a quote-unquote home run hitter being your leadoff guy, my response is always, you know, last time I checked, there's not a rule in the Major League Baseball rule book that says you can't hit a home run to lead off a game. Nope. Rookie Weeks proved that time and time again. All anyone ever wanted to do was have him walk, and him and uh, even Carlos Gomez, the few times he spent leading off, would take that first pitch out right away. Uh, Thames, at least, is more likely to work the count, and that's really all you want, is you want to have the guy who's going to make pitchers... Well, you just want the guy who's going to produce runs, really, at the end of the day, that you win the game with runs. So you want the guy who's going to be able to do that. No quicker way to score runs than a home run, but then on top of it, if you can have the guy, the pitcher throw a lot of pitches, Eric Thames knows how to work a count. Now, he might strike out a lot, but he knows how to work a count and make the pitcher work. So I think that's worth it yeah. to have a, a labored first inning and get that starting pitcher to really get to work right from the get-go. And not that we need to spend you know 10 minutes on Eric Thames and the leadoff thing, but one last thing on this, because there is still some chatter about it, just based off the situational numbers from last year, Thames is actually more likely to hit a home run leading off an inning when nobody's on base than he is with people on base. His, his, you know, his numbers with runners on base last year were not good. Right. Um, so that's just probably how his game works and how he gets pitched differently in those run-scoring opportunities. So might as well take advantage in the areas that do him the most favors. Going into this year, obviously they made the decision to go get Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich. At that point in time, you still thought that they would end up signing another pitcher. They they really don't unless you include Wade Miley, but they don't get one of those top-tier free agents that were out there. They don't get Arietta, They don't get Darvish. They don't get Lynn. They don't get Cobb. Those were the four guys that we spent the vast majority of the offseason talking about. If, again, three games, very small sample size. One of the most frustrating things doing what I do is trying to make these big, wide-ranging statements about a baseball team when you've got three games, especially when it's three games against a team like the Padres that's not very good. But so far, if you think that the Brewers' decision-makers kind of said, based off this lineup, we're going to be able to win games even when our pitching is just good enough to keep us in the game and not more than that. That kind of played out in the first three games because Chassin was not especially good. Brent Suter was fine, but you know he gives up three runs in five innings. That's not a dominating start. He was fine. He kept you in the game. Is that maybe what this team might turn into a couple times out of the five times through that it's more about outscoring your opponent than outpitching your opponent? I definitely think that's part of why they felt safe and didn't feel they were forced into making an acquisition. Um, they 
when you have the opportunity in a lineup that truly can score seven or more runs every game, and I think this lineup definitely has that potential. Uh, we already saw them score a lot last night, and the team isn't to the point yet where the second half of the order is really hitting. I think they've only gotten four or five hits out of the second half of the order so far through three games. Um, but so just when you're able to get that protection from the top half and then when the bottom half starts hitting, you're going to get even more where they feel safe. They feel like with the names they have on the bench, when they need to make those pinch hits, they can get those clutch hits um, and they can get run producing opportunities from everywhere. Um, And I think another part of it is they felt that way and they didn't feel great about having to be locked down for multiple years to the pitchers who were available. If your scouts say, hey, this guy has these problems and these could serve us up, do you want to pay them 20 plus million a year to have these issues? You have to weigh those consequences. And I think they came out and said, hey. We're going to score a bunch of runs. Our pitching staff was pretty good last year. They were a top 10 staff. So let's go with it. Maybe Jimmy Nelson comes back in the middle of the year and gives us that extra push we need. Maybe Corbin Burns or Freddie Peralta excels at AAA and is able to come up and give us a lift if we need another pitcher to come up. Um, And let's just run with what we have because as long as our pitchers keep them to probably four runs or less, we feel we can win every game. G-Man Choi had just the fantastic spring, hitting over 400. Uh, opening day in San Diego, he had the double in the 12th inning and eventually came around to score what turned into the, the game-winning run. But they were going with two less pitchers than they were originally planning on on that opening day roster. Now it sits at one after they add Choi, and, or excuse me, after they add Jennings and send down Choi. We could still see another pitcher added at some point in the relatively near future, which we'll see what happens there and if that maybe cost Jesus Aguilar his job. But uh, just sticking with with G-Man Choi, really this roster crunch, I I always say things work themselves out, and I think they are going to work themselves out, but sometimes early on in the season, you have a roster crunch situation, and this is not going to be an easy next couple weeks in all likelihood for David Stearns and his staff. No, it's really not, and they're doing a great job of kind of maximizing the time they get to deal with this situation. Because um, that's really the thing that favors a baseball team the most. Uh, the longer, the more time they have, the more time they have to work around what's going to happen in their season. Then the more time they have, the more time teams are getting comfortable with the rosters they have. Because uh, what's the point of claiming Jesus Aguilar? if you really like your 25-man roster, and then you're just going to have to expose some waivers again. Of course, most teams are going to try it because that's a great opportunity. You saw David Stearns do that a lot in the 2017 offseason as he tried to sneak all those guys through waivers and only ended up with two, Aguilar being one of them. Uh, But it's, I like that they're trying to maximize the amount of time they get with it. I do get the feeling that you're going to lose Aguilar in the long run, but And as much as I like having depth and talent, I think it's when there's that many guys who are better above him, it's not worth jeopardizing your team. It's not worth having a Wee Chun Wang type situation where you're trying to make it work just because you really like this one talent when it just doesn't work. Give you the best roster that doesn't put pressure on everyone else. And gives you a good opportunity to win 
So Doom, I mean, the top, clock's ticking down on that. You might even see it soon as you're going to lose that Brandon Woodruff from the uh, coming from the bullpen opportunity within the next couple of games because you want to get him on his regular rotation for when he makes his start. And then once that happens, you probably want Aguilar to go down or, or you want to get him off the roster so you can call up, say, J.J. Hoover, who had a great spring, or if they end up signing another guy who was cut late in camp by spring, like Dan Jennings, and bringing him in. Um, you got to get that done and give yourself the best opportunity to not put pressure on the rest of your team. And it, as much as Aguilar has a great connection with the team, uh, from what I've read, Seat wants to stay with the team. Sometimes the what you want to be the perfect situation just doesn't work itself out. But I'm happy with the effort they're putting in to keep a player they view as a quality player. And look, something's going to happen. They they don't have another. We're talking on Easter Sunday, and it's an off day for the club. They then play three at home against St. Louis, four at home against Chicago, then go to St. Louis for three before they have an off day on Thursday the 12th. So they go ten straight games without an off day. And it, in all likelihood, something is going to happen during the course of that period of time and uh, where they're going to have to make a decision. Brad, I'd also say this, though. If if Jesus Aguilar gets designated for assignment, I think it's better than a 50% chance that he ends up getting claimed by another team. But I don't know if it's a lot better than 50%. There's definitely a scenario out there where another team does not end up claiming him. We're living in a world of baseball right now where power hitters are not valued the way they were previously. And I'm not I'm not 100% sure that Aguilar would get claimed. I'm not 100% sure Eric Thames would get claimed. In fact, you could argue because Thames has a little bit more money attached to him that there would actually be less of a chance that Thames would get claimed if he ended up being designated. But, but either way, there is a scenario where a Jesus Aguilar leaves the 25-man roster but does not leave the organization. Right, that's definitely a reality, especially in the day and age of baseball that we're in where people where the roster builders want division her positional diversity unless they're going to be an everyday starter and that's something Aguilar doesn't offer he's a first baseman the Brewers have tried him at other positions but that's not something you're going to go with long term um, I do think we have recent history of a guy who hasn't found as much success as Aguilar but I believe uh, John Singleton when he was uh, put yeah when he was designated I believe last year already uh, he at a relatively fair contract, he, despite struggling and being a former top prospect, was not claimed uh, after Houston snuck him back down to the minor leagues. Uh, so I think part of that is positional eligibility. He was a left-handed first baseman and could even play outfield. Teams didn't want to take that risk. And now, I mean, it's hard to really make room for that bench spot to have a first base gut only guy when you can have your Hernan Perez's who can play six positions confidently and still give you a decent bat. And it's hard for teams to really justify making that move. And sometimes what they feel is weakening the depth on their roster when the trend right now is having those super utility guys who can go out and play almost every day and give you multiple positions and still be a good bat off the bench versus just a good bat off the bench who can play first ba- base the 10 times your first baseman needs off during the season. 
We're talking with uh, Brett Fort from uh, Brew Crew Ball. Uh, Ryan Braun plays at first base each of the first two games. Obviously, he hits that home run uh, there in the second game of the series, which was really an incredible. I mean, as high as that pitch was, for him to be able to make contact on it was pretty incredible. Uh, but Braun has played two games at first base now uh, against left-handed starters. He took the third game off. I think we're going to see most times this year where the Brewers do have an off day that Braun is probably going to get the day off in front of that off day or at least at the very least uh, in front of or behind. But how, how are you feeling right now about the Ryan Braun at first base experiment? It's looked pretty good so far. Um, I He really hasn't had to make those complicated choices, like whether or not to go for the ball versus going to cover first base so you can make that throw. Uh, there's been a few first baseman conversions where that process hasn't gone so cleanly. I believe Matt Gamble was one who started at third base, then the Brewers switched over to first base for all the 30 games he was healthy enough to play. And uh, he just didn't understand what his role was supposed to be. Obviously, Ryan Braun isn't that bad. He grasps it pretty well. But I do expect you'll have that lapse because he doesn't have the muscle memory where you have to think and act out, but the game's moving too fast for you to take that second to think, and he'll make the wrong move occasionally. But I like it so far. It's really nice to have your top bats shoved into one lineup and have Santana out there. Um, And I've just been pretty impressed with how fluid he's looked he really hasn't looked like he said to take a lot of time um he's had pretty good reactions which doesn't surprise me to balls going past him um he doesn't look like a perfect first baseman but as far as a guy who's never played on that side of the infield and has been playing outfield for the last 10 seasons uh, he's looked really good when there's going to be a point in the year where the Brewers face a run of right-handed. I mean, it's a, most guys are right-handed. So there's going to right. be a point in the year where they face a bunch of right-handed starters. Do you think that we're going to see him starting to play first base against right-handers as the season moves along? I think it'll depend. They'll want to play the hot hand. So if Ryan Braun is on one of those Ryan Braun tears where he's hitting almost 500 and has like four homers in the course of a week, even in playing against right-hander, on-fire Ryan Braun is a better play against against that right-handed pitcher than Eric Thames is. But then it gets more complicated. How are Domingo Santana? Or how is Domingo Santana playing against? Is he on a cold streak? Is he only hitting two hundred in the last month? Uh, is he one for twenty six or something outrageously of a cold streak where Eric Thames is still hot? Then you can play him in the outfield, and I think that's what's really interesting about this lineup overall. Is even against the pitcher matchups, you get to see really a use of trying to play your best hand at all times and then getting guys who are struggling the off time that they need to kind of regroup. So I think that's a benefit that we kind of undervalue so far right now. And we're going to see as it goes through the season, be a really nice commodity where when guys are struggling to hit the ball, you're still going to have a good player to replace them with and get them a few off days to kind of get back in the groove of things. It's, it's really a, 
not many teams have situations like this. I mean, this is a team that's going to be competing for the postseason, and here we are into the season, and they're still kind of unrest in who some of the everyday guys are. And I know Craig Council likes to talk to it, talk about it as a position player group and not starters and bench players, but even through one series, at least for me, I still don't feel like I've got a firm handle on what it's going to look like specifically, how often bronze at first, how often bronze in left field, and what the rest of the arrangement of players who play a lot is going to look like as the season moves along. Right. And given what I just said about whether a player is hot or cold, I would never have expected a manager, especially with an off day coming up, to take a Ryan Braun who just hit a game winning home run in the ninth inning out of the lineup to rest him or to get the better pitcher matchup with Eric Thames at the top of the lineup. Those are things I don't. I was shocked when I saw him out there. You got to get Eric Thames out there eventually. But I thought maybe Domingo would come out. Um, so it really is weird. Uh, and, and like, you can go for hours and how just bizarre it is bizarre that you have guys who are two wins. If you're looking at war above most players playing at their, her above average and more quality than most players playing at their position who are going to ride the bench for at least 30 games a season. Uh, you're, I mean, it's nice because you have a group of injury-plagued players like Ryan Braun, who has had his issues with the DL the last few seasons. Eric Thames, who has his muscle cramps, that, as we saw last year, because it's hard for a guy that large to stay loose all the time. Lorenzo Kane, who's run into injury issues throughout his career. It's nice to be able to just be able to work games off for them. But just to really not know, I'm sure they don't even know what they're going to see every time they walk up to the lineup card. And to, to also move guys around where they have their mentality change and how they're hitting. Because, I mean, theoretically, there's not much to change. But I'm sure Lorenzo Kane feels different when he's leading off a game versus when he's sitting third the next day. And he has a couple guys in front of him. Later in the game, what does not matter? But when you're the first guy seeing the first pitches out of the bat, that's got to be a little different than when a couple guys have faced them and now you have a couple guys on in front of you. Uh, so it's just really weird um, and unconventional. But I like unconventional. Let's get weird. Let's reinvent how teams structure their roster. I mean, how many teams in the last however many years in a long time have been able to say that they have starters on their bench that have proven to be all-star caliber players and put up huge numbers and they're on the bench for when they need them and they're sharing starts. It's exciting. I'm sure it's probably frustrating at times for the players when they feel they deserve more. And I'm sure that's part of why you haven't seen it. But this is a group who also seems to be just happy that they're sharing their time together. Um, And, they just have such a relationship that they don't mind as long as they're together. Yeah, and that's the Ryan Braun, I think, said recently at Fox Sports Wisconsin about how last year this team learned how to play for each other. And I don't think that's just, you know, kind of player speak cliche. There's some truth to it. And it's, um, it, it, it's just, it, it's fun to watch how this whole thing is going to end up playing out. And it's, it is going to be interesting as we go through the course of the season and see who ends up playing. I got to say this, I'm, I was expecting Ryan Braun to be in that lineup in that third game based off the home run that he hit the day before. That being said, I was glad that Craig Council didn't play him. Just kind of, if I, if I try to be consistent with what I've said, because I have said since the day last 
last season ended that you got to do a better job of utilizing off days with Ryan Braun because in 2016 they were so worried about him coming off back surgery and rightfully so that they 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 gave him you know those maintenance days pretty much next to every single off day during the year. Then he had a fantastic season in 2016. You go into 2017, the season starts, he's feeling great. And if you remember last year, for the first month of the season, he's playing just about every single day. And I think that's what le- – I'm not a doctor, but I think that's what led to him end up ending up not playing that much last year. I think they overused him at the beginning of the season because of how good he felt. And I am very much in favor – no matter how good Ryan Braun feels right now, of proactively giving him many days off and utilizing, uh, giving him days off in front of off days to give him back-to-back days uh, away from baseball. I think you get more out of Ryan Braun, him maybe starting 130 games, as opposed to him starting 150 games. Right, and I agree. I mean, he's definitely, in the last few years, has worked up a reputation of being fragile, between his thumb, between his back, uh, I think he's even had small scopes on a couple of his joints where to remove bone spurs or just clean things up. Where, I mean, obviously age is catching up to him, but if you give him that time, he can still be that 300, 538 slugging percentage guy who is dominating other players. Um And you're right. I think not only is sticking to it important for him and not playing him when he gets hot and forcing injury, but it's also kind of important for the other players to show like, hey, you know, I'm going to stick to what I said. I promise you, you'd get playing time. It's your turn to play. Here we go. Um, And just working through it and earning the trust of your players by sticking to what you said was going to happen. I think there's also value in that. Uh, I think no one is going to really be hurt if they lose playing time to Ryan Braun, who's been one of the best hitters the last decade. But still, there's something to be said when your boss actually sticks to the promises they gave you. And for the people out there who complain about him getting off days and you know those those people always bring up the contract which it's not a bad contract but to those people he he's he's game paid and he is getting paid a lot of money I'm not trying to downplay it, but it's not when you look at his contract and compare it to other contracts in baseball it's it's not this exorbitant contract I always say to people why let's put the number at 30 home runs and 100 RBIs just to throw it out there and he almost got to that point in uh in, in 2016 why if you get if you have a 30 home run 100 rbi guy if that's the production you get out of them why does it matter if that comes in 130 games or 150 games you can even say it's worth more in 130 games because you're packing it into more time where somebody else is in the lineup those other days and they're they're producing i just i don't i don't completely understand as long as the production is there at the end of the year and we'll see whether it is or not at the end of the season there's no guarantee it will be but as long as the production's there at the end of the year why does it matter if if he does it in 130 or 150 Uh, exactly um but people always want to compare those contracts unfairly to the situations they're in um, and we'd all be liking like to make $20 million a year. And we all know we would go out and play 162 games a year if it meant that. But at the same time, they're paying him $20 million a year to be a certain type of player. 
giving him those off days gives them a better chance that he's that certain type of player. And that's why you do it. You're more, and you're right. Like it's shown in the past that if you give him the appropriate time to recover, he is more likely to produce. And it should just look at the last two years. Not only was he healthier for longer uh, last year that her in 2016 than he was last year, but also in one of the shorter seasons he's played, he put up numbers similar to his all-star silver slugger MVP seasons. So just, I get it. No one wants to feel like someone richer than them, especially someone who slighted them is getting an easier time at the office than they do. But there is very intelligent and logical reasons for why this is happening. And overall it benefits the brewers substantially more. Last thing in this, and we'll do some minor league stuff here in a moment, but we hit on it a little bit at the beginning of our conversation, but we didn't get quite as into it as I wanted to. Just the Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Cain, in the order right next to each other. Uh, we, when Braun was out of the lineup, it was Cain behind Yelich. When uh, Braun was in the order, it was Cain in front of him. Yelich has been in the two spot. My, I mean – this is through three games, and I don't. I, I, I'm so worried about hyperbole and and making too much out of three games. But my goodness, having those two guys in this lineup, it's incredible how all of a sudden how dynamic this lineup is. Oh yeah, these guys. I mean, they're special players. That's why you get them and then don't make another move. Sorry, I have a tiny kitten in the house who's attacking my computer. But (laughs) (laughs) that's why you get these players and then you still feel comfortable not making another pitching move. It's because they're so dynamic and they do it in all different types of ways. They both have power. They both have speed. And they but most importantly, they get on base and create dynamic opportunities for you and your team to score runs. Uh, They're. I mean, Lorenzo Kane is one of those players where you, if you look at the analytics, even as he gets older, doesn't look like he'll be one to regress, which is great considering the contract you signed him to. And Christian Yelich in Miller Park with that short porch in right field could be even more exciting than what we saw in San Diego over these last three games. I mean, you're right. It is only three games, but I think it'd be silly not to be excited when together they're getting on base more than 50% of the time giving Shaw and Braun, Santana, and depending on where he's playing Thames, an opportunity to drive them in. Because last year we had a huge problem as a ball club with getting the early portion of the lineup on. Last year, I thought on the team, Travis Shaw had the best looking swing. And by the way, this goes under the category of this really doesn't matter. But (laughs) last year, I thought that that Travis Shaw on the team just had the most fantastic looking swing when it was on. I... It's for me. It's now a toss-up between him and Christian Yelich. That swing—it is so much fun to watch. Uh, Christian Yelich has a gorgeous swing, but I'm sorry, there will not, never be anything that looks like closer to perfection to me than Ryan Braun's swing. There's just something about it where I drool looking at it. But yeah, Yelich is 100% one of the most refined hitters in terms of swing ability of anyone in the league. 
he's been actually a guy who I've been fanboying or fanboying over for a while, just based on one year I picked him in fantasy and he had a really good year for me. So that was enough to get me invested in just watching more Marlins games. And when Jose Fernandez was alive and you had Yelich and Stanton and Ozuna in that lineup together, that was just a fun team to watch. So I've been watching his swing for a while now. And the day the Brewers got him, I was ecstatic because when you watch him, it's easy to see how special of a player he is. I mean, you can tell by his swing path that he's going to hit everything, not necessarily off the barrel, but he's going to get good contact um, or not necessarily on the sweet spot, but he's going to get good contact anywhere on the barrel and give himself a chance to get on uh, just with how he attacks the zone. And it's one of those where you really just want to have your kids who you want to play baseball watch that swing over and over and over and over again because it's an art form. It really is. And Yelich has one of the more perfected pieces of art in the entire major leagues. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Brad Ford, joining us. Brad, uh, I get you to stick around just a little bit longer uh, as we talk some uh, minor league stuff. Yeah, of course. All right, that's Brad Ford. We will, uh, just because this is what we need to do here on the podcast, we'll step away for just a second, and we'll uh, come back, and we'll uh, talk some minor league stuff. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers X-Rays, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We do continue on, and we uh, continue on with uh, Brad Ford, who is our guest during our social media conversation. You'll hear Brad a lot of this down on the farm segment. Uh, he really uh, follows all the prospects over at uh, Brew Crew Ball and does a great job. I don't know if there's anybody out there better at following them on an every single day basis. Uh, as we talk on Sunday night, obviously we know who's going to be on minor league teams because they're not on the Brewers' 25-man roster. Uh, there's been some stuff kind of trickling out on Twitter, some of the different accounts who follow some of the minor league guys who have tweeted out about where they're going. So you, if you were really into it and wanted to start penciling rosters just based off what's out there on social media, you might be able to get a, a good a bit of an idea. But uh, as we talk on Sunday night, we're still uh, a day or two away from the official announcement from the Brewers from uh, where everybody's going to uh, end up going. So very general conversation right now, and uh, we'll start having the various team broadcasters and some other folks on starting next week once uh, there are some minor league games in the books as we uh, continue through the podcast. But, uh, Brad, just very generally, and I know you could probably name about 40 guys when I ask this question, but uh, who are uh, uh, top of your list? What guys are you most interested in seeing uh, what they do this year in the Brewers minor league system? I think this list is surprisingly similar to a lot of the fan lists out there, and it ends up being uh, the one of the top guys in Corbin Burns because, as you know about as well as anybody, <laughs> Colorado Springs isn't always the friendliest place to pitchers, um, and especially pitchers who rely on great movement and breaking stuff where the air just doesn't let it break as hard as it was. That's Josh Hader, who has very dynamic pitches in his slider and fastball. Um, you know, he struggled a lot at Colorado Springs, but then when you saw him come up to the majors and take down that bullpen roll, which to me was a just new form of development as they saw him struggling in Colorado Springs, 
um, you saw him benefit a lot more because his stuff became more dynamic. And good news for Burns is I feel like he's just such a solid pitcher and knows part of what makes him the level of prospect that he is is that he just knows how to work opposing hitters that even if he doesn't have his best stuff, he can go out and get a lot of success. Of course, with the air, even when you're doing the right things, stuff still seems to fly out or go further than it otherwise should or be a little bit harder than it otherwise should, which is just nature of the beast. But, I mean, I'm very interested to see how he performs there. Uh, I was had myself a little convinced that he would start out at Biloxi just because uh, spring can be a little bit harder for pitchers in Colorado Springs than later in the year. So I thought maybe they'd try to buy him some time there. But he's definitely earned the step up to the new level, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, it might impact Freddie Peralta a little bit more. He's probably my second guy because uh, he took such a huge step last year in his performance. He's always been very dynamic, had high strikeout numbers, but especially when he had a great season at Carolina and then stepped it up even better at double uh, a he's definitely earned this push so we'll see what he can make out of uh his time there especially when he relies on such dynamic breaking stuff uh i wonder if he'll face the struggles a player like jorge lopez did when he went through colorado springs and the brewers basically try not to let jorge touch that um <laughs> although i think he's going to triple a this year again so we'll see how it goes for round three uh, the other one, of course, is Keston Hero. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he has a full season and is able to perform in a park that, unlike Colorado Springs, isn't very friendly to hitters. I mean, I think he's a great hitter who's going to hit well in any environment. But Carolina really saps out even the best hitters. So we'll see if he struggles or not as he goes to A+. Um, I've marked him... We talked about it last year as a guy who's probably going to be a quick riser. I don't really think he'll face any troubles, but this is one of those levels where pitching's getting better and you're put in a park where it's harder to hit. So we'll see kind of how he deals with that. Of course, he had a great spring training and really impressed people with his bat there, but so did Lucas Ursig last year. He was hitting pro pitchers extremely well, and then he even struggled when he went to Carolina because that place is just really hard to hit in. And then, of course, when they go from Carolina to Biloxi, they don't exactly get easier. It's a little bit better of a hitter's park, but only by the smallest margins. So that'll be really fun. Um, trying to think of some lower guys. I've been talking about it a lot lately, but it's just uh, one of those cards where it's really those two, those three guys have been what I'm thinking about yeah. so much because I think they're the closest to having an impact on the major league team. Um, actually, I'm really excited about uh, Jason Rose, who was a draft pick from last year, and I think he'll be in Wisconsin um, at some point in the year. And he is just, he has dynamic off-speed stuff, and he's just really fun to watch, and I think he's going to tear through those lower levels and has a chance to be Brandon Woodruff from a couple of years ago. So I think he's a guy people should keep an eye out on. Couple guy, uh, first, uh, the, um, 
the all, all the prospect stuff. You look at the rankings. We all do that, you know. Especially if you're uh, if you're not really locked in, and, and you look at the rankings. And this year for MLB Pipeline, they moved Luke, Lucas Lucas up to the number four spot. And look, I know what he did in spring training last year and, and everything, but is that a little bit high for him? Uh, if I think he ended up there because he had such a good second half in Carolina. Um, Because the first half was really just, (laughs) saying it nicely, hot garbage. Uh, So it really wasn't that great a performance for him. But the second half, he really did come on and show some of that power stroke. He has a swing a lot of prospects like, and he's been coming along with his defense. Uh, I've heard some scouts very generously compare him to Nolan Arenado. I think that's less because of the range that Arenado has and more that Lucas Ersig has a very similar arm and that he can get a person out from anywhere on the field. So it's I can see exactly why they would do it. He's a very dynamic prospect. I know that the big league club is very excited about, too. I wouldn't have been surprised, actually, if they put him at triple A which uh, kind of shocked some of my peers when we were talking about it, because I think the team already thinks that his bat is so advanced that he's ready to handle that type of opposition. And I wouldn't be surprised if he has success, if he's one of those quick risers who come out of the year and really have a strong performance. There is a, um, oh, I'm sorry, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, the, go ahead. Just to, and, and on that, there is a report out there from uh, from Tom Hodricourt that the Brewers are going to end up signing a a guy with some major league time to play third at Colorado Springs. Uh, if that does happen, and all indications are that it's going to happen at some point in the relatively uh, near future. In fact, it may have already happened by the time some people are listening to this podcast. Uh, the, that would uh, that that could impact Ersig and his ability to even if it's not the beginning of the season, that could impact his ability to uh, get some everyday time at AAA at some point this year yeah absolutely um it's always hard when you have veterans um taking up those spots but it's also very good for the club as a whole just to get that veteran experience they don't need Ursig in the major league lineup anytime soon so it's probably best even though i know how much they love him at my predictions that he could have been on the roster on AAA this year that he actually just gets the full year in biloxi whether he crushes it or not because all in all, that's probably going to be better developmentally for him and really help him deal with, uh, you know, see what it's like to have a full season of adversity. Also, in years past, although this is a completely different organization uh, or like leadership than it was in the past, they do like to see groups come up together. Yeah. So keeping uh, Grisham, Ray, Ursig, Gatewood, and all or Maderos and all that group together. Uh, Cody Ponce is another one, and coming through the system together, I think, is something that they like to do and see them rise and keep that comfort zone because it's kind of hard to go through the minor leagues in general, and it's easier when you actually have familiar faces in a group you like working together with. So I think they do that both so they can all grow in a winning environment together because it's been a very successful group so far and so that they have that comfort level. Safe to say, though, they'll scrap that plan for Keston Hero. They're going to – I wouldn't be shocked. You know, oh. If he kills it this year, he gets up to double-A, I wouldn't be shocked to see him spend the last couple weeks of the year at triple-A. I mean, I think they're going to push him through. No, no Hero is definitely scrapped on that. Hero is someone who, if he I, – <laughs> I don't want to get 
people too excited but it's hard to control myself when i'm very excited and i really think he's going to be a super quick riser uh a la ian hap for the chicago cups where they're his bat's going to force them to make a lot of decisions for him and the club already knows that that's why they took him despite knowing if he had a full ucl tear or not that he was going to need surgery for because he is such a good player already that if he shows it in the minor leagues and advances, he's someone who could skyrocket through the system and end up in the major leagues. If he's hitting 400 or 300 in A+, he'll probably move up to double A in May. And then if he crushes double A, like you said, you could see him spend the last month even in triple A. If they make the playoffs and he's in double A, you're definitely going to see him in triple A so he can get ready to you get that winning mentality that they like that's why they brought so many of the guys up for the sky Sox playoff last year is to get them that playoff experience and kind of get used to how that feels um but he, i mean here is the perfect fit too because they have such a hole at second base right now where they can definitely do the patchwork solution that they've had and by next year he might force their hand to make him part of the major league roster in may how much of a make or break year is this for Corey ray it's a decent one. And based on some of the spring training results, um, it seems like he is over it. I I don't think you ever truly have a break or like a make or break year this year or, or this early in the minor league career, but considering he came in with such that uh, such those expectations, belief that he was advanced in the way I'm talking about Hira. Corey Ray was supposed to be that type of player, someone who moved through it fast, someone who already had triple-A ability coming out of college. Um, But, I mean, they're definitely not going to give up on him if he struggles. It's interesting to me that they have confidence in him and are pushing him, from my understanding, pushing him up to double-A. But... If he struggles, it's going to be hard to get behind him and really believe that his, he has the chance to develop. Uh, from what I'm hearing, um, a lot of people believe he's using his legs a lot more than he has been in the last two seasons. Part of that is because of the surgery he has there. So this year, his swing has already looked a lot better than it did in the past. So there is definitely reason to hope. I don't think this is where we saw some of the other Brewers first-round prospects struggle and struggle and struggle and eventually sometimes that they struggled as much as Ray has been struggling even got cut or there's a Victor Roach a guy who they just left at one system to kind of fill in the gaps and then once the gaps once the outfield was overloaded with prospects he was one of the first people to go despite being a high round pick I don't think that's this year if he fails but it definitely plummets him towards the bottom of the uh, totem pole in terms of organizational importance um there i mean he's showed that potential he'll always have that potential uh it's just that the brewers can find a good way to unlock it it's but it's hard i mean you i don't want to see anyone fail um i'm definitely rooting for the guy and hoping he can find it and like i said so far in uh the spring limited spring training they have just watching brewers uh player developments tweets come out and have some of the results you can tell he's driving the ball a lot better with a lot of the extra base hits. He's getting multi-hits a game. And uh, that was something he wasn't getting uh, early on in the season last year or 
uh, in the his first season, the season before. And I think that's the other thing is this is his only his second full season. Yes, he's been a minor league player for three years. Yes, he's older um, than most of the other players. But this is still only his third season. He's in Double A, so there's always reason to continue believing and hopefully unlocking that potential. We saw, we've seen in prospects before that sometimes that that it takes a while to click. So I don't think it's like a big make or break season. But like I said, if he doesn't have a good season, he definitely plummets in terms of importance for the organization. Last thing for you, and this isn't so much prospect related, but just minor league related. Nick Franklin's going to go to double A and he's reportedly going to learn how to catch. Does that do anything for you? Uh, (laughs) Like I'm always interested in players trying to learn new positions. Um, Based on the Nick Franklin experiment last year, I don't, believe he'll actually have any value to the major league team um (laughs) it's just interesting yeah i mean it's bizarre to make a to suggest a player this late in his career have that substantial like catcher is the hardest defensive position to learn in baseball (laughs) so suddenly a guy who struggled throughout his career and has learned different positions you're going to send him down two levels from where he was at his peak last year and make him learn the most difficult position defensively in baseball i also wonder how that's going to impact does that if it impacts at all the pitching staff and working as they develop as cody ponce luis ortiz um zach brown work to develop does that impact them at all throwing to a guy who has a ton of experience but at hasn't really caught at 27 um i don't know it's weird i'm like i said earlier i'm let's get weird you know let's have fun with it but i don't really think it turns into anything and it it confuses the heck out of me and two i'm going to say two things on that so first off I don't really judge him too much based off what happened last year with the Brewers because he just didn't play. And I, I'm a big. There are some guys who can play once a week and have okay numbers. I, I think he's somebody who, if he's not getting regular at bats, he has no chance of having any success at the big league level. So maybe those numbers are who he is. Maybe they're not. Uh, but but either way, I, I don't think he got a fair shake uh, on the on the major league roster last year for whatever that's worth. But secondly. I saw something when I was working in AAA in the Colorado Rockies organization. They made the decision that they were going to turn Jordan Pacheco into a catcher. And he spent the entire year at AAA trying to learn how to catch. And that was in Colorado Springs, which, as we know, is not a great place for pitching anyway. So I don't think that did help pitchers. I don't think it helped him. He never really caught in the big leagues. Uh, He went back to being more of a utility guy. He had his worst offensive season that he's ever had because he was so focused on on learning how to catch. I think they did more damage to Jordan Pacheco when they tried to force him into being a catcher than they did to help him. So it's cool for Nick Franklin, and, and I appreciate him saying, you know what, maybe I can increase my value if I can add another position to play and a position that there's a lot of value on. But just from Nick Franklin's standpoint, I also think he personally has to be careful that this isn't something that turns into a negative for his career. Right. It's I don't know. It's just 
you you always have to appreciate a guy who's willing to change to give himself the best opportunity to have success. There, it's hard not to appreciate that. And if you get a Nick Franklin who repeats some of the numbers he had in Tampa Bay before he became a Brewer, um, where he was hitting, I mean, even if you have a catcher who's hitting two twenty. It's still a decent offensive catcher, especially if he's a backup catcher who's playing two or three times a week. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe they're hoping for some Nick Ramirez magic. At least Nick Ramirez had previous experience pitching. I don't really know Nick Franklin's background as a catcher, uh, but I know he's had almost no experience catching in his major league career. Um Maybe he was the emergency guy who went out there and caught pitches in between innings or uh, caught on the side. Let's take a look. I'll pull up it. Yeah, he doesn't have any defensive innings logged at catcher in his minor league history either. So good luck to him. Like I said, I'm never someone to root against somebody. So if he finds success this way, that is awesome. It's awesome for the Brewers, and it's awesome for Nick Franklin, who at one point was going to be one of the best, was predicted to be one of the best second basemen in all of baseball. He has, um, uh, he's, he's been a pitcher, but he's never been a catcher. He has right. one major league game as a pitcher, uh, but he's never, he's never caught a game. Right. He has. I think every other position, right? Yeah, yeah he absolutely does. So, <laughs> uh, so I guess why not? Yeah. So Has, uh, hasn't even. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they'll invent the new thing of a super utility player who also catches. Maybe that'll be the new organizational thing. They have to make difference in how you stack the team with offense. <laughs> so now they need to go do this too. <laughs> well, they're they're ahead of the curve in a few areas. So we'll see we'll see what happens there. Uh, look, right. Brad, Brad, we've taken a ton of your time tonight. Uh, tell me what's going down over at uh, at Brew Crew Ball as the season is uh, underway. So, of course, you can always expect your daily updates with news and notes on what the games are going on. We're always doing reviews on uh, the how the organization's going. We have some fun games right now uh, based on uh, you can play our Sporkle quizzes where you have to guess all 35 players to have a five-hit game. That just went up today, so that's exciting and fun. Uh, and of course, when major league games starting back up later this week, I'll have my daily or with minor league games starting up later this week. I'll have my daily minor league recap every morning, along with some pre, uh, recaps of performances. Every week, we do our full recap of top performers throughout the leagues in each of the categories. Um, and then also coming up in May, looking a little bit further ahead, I'll start having my draft previews. And then after the draft, I'll start having uh, some interviews with some of the players who become the team. So throughout the season, look to us for your minor league prospect coverage. Uh, and of course, on Twitter, I always have uh, daily updates on performances and how everyone's doing, because I try to watch almost every, at least a little bit of almost every game. So and it's just what I have fun doing. You can follow Brad on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue, and uh, you can read him over at Brew Crew Ball. Brad, it's always good to talk to you, and I'm sure we will talk uh, many times throughout the course of the season. Looking forward to it. That was Brad Ford joining us, and we appreciate him taking some time as we continue on with this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Here's what the schedule looks like for the course of the week. Uh, the Brewers are going to play seven straight games, no off days. They had uh, Easter Sunday off, and now no off days uh, coming up for uh, quite some time. They have opening day coming up on Monday afternoon at Miller Park with a game against the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, that is uh, 
going to be Zach Davies getting the start for uh, the Brewers, and then they will play two more games, all night games against the Cardinals uh, in the second and third game. One ten start on Monday afternoon, then six forty starts on both Tuesday and Wednesday. Then they welcome in the Chicago Cubs for a four-game series starting on a Thursday evening. Thursday and Friday are seven ten starts. Saturday afternoon at three o five, and then Sunday will be a one ten start. And those are the first four uh, home games, or the first seven home games of the year, I should say, and the first home stand. And we'll we'll see what the uh, fan ratio looks like on Thursday through Sunday. If you remember this year, people who had Wisconsin addresses had the opportunity to buy tickets to the Brewers-Cubs games prior to people who uh, did not live in the state of Wisconsin, specifically trying to keep some of the Cubs fans uh, out as they tend to take over Miller Park during those series. So we'll get our first taste of what that actually looks like uh, during that four-game series coming up this week. As always, you can hear all of the games uh, across the Brewers Radio Network, specifically uh, in Milwaukee and throughout uh, Wisconsin and neighboring states on 620 WTMJ. All right, my thanks to uh, Brad Ford for joining us. Also, a note for you, we do uh, have the uh, post-game show that I host on WTMJ, which is Brewers Extra Innings. On road games when they win, I always get player interviews, and I recently had uh, an interview with Ryan Braun and also an interview with Christian Yelich. Uh, if you have not heard those and you do want to hear those and you want to hear the post-game interviews throughout the course of the year, uh, they are always pod, uh, podcasted on this same page where you're listening to it right now so you can just scroll back and uh, you're able to see that. All right, thanks so much for being tuned in. If you're listening to this prior to opening day, enjoy opening day, and uh, we will talk to you next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast for Power by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.